Happy Father's Day, by the way. Happy Grandfather's Day for those of you. (laughs) We're in Exodus chapter 10, and we'll go through 11, verse 10. Uh, As we make our way, as we journey through the book of Exodus, uh, I thought Genesis was good, but I'm thinking Exodus is good too there. (laughs) So, to me, one of the greatest signs of wisdom is being able to learn from events in your life, uh, even perhaps failures in your past. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 2, Moses is told, Tell your sons and your grandsons all the mighty things that I, God, have done in Egypt. And God is speaking about the plagues that he brought upon Egypt. God wants his children, he wants Israel to know that he is Lord. That's capital L-O-R-D, God Supreme. As Christians, as parents and as fathers, we owe it to our children to teach them, to speak about, you know, in dinner conversation and the, the like, to speak about the truth of God. Because the world is beating against our kids continually trying to conform our children and ourselves into their image. And we will hear our children say something like, well, everybody else is doing it. And that's a chance for us to explain God's ways to them. Don't look at it as being defensive. That's just an opportunity for us to explain the principles of God to them. God told Abraham in chapter 18 of Genesis, let me read verses 17 through 19. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am going to do? Since Abraham shall surely become a great nation and all the people of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, God speaking about Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the ways of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God desires for us to know what he is doing in our lives. Verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? No, God wants Abraham to know. God has been faithful to reveal his desires uh, for us to know. And many times he reveals himself as we are in his word. Book of Genesis, God tells us he's the creator. He made everything. He made us and everything around us. And then in the book of Revelation, we hear that he will return to get us and set up his kingdom. So in verse 19, we see God has a plan for Abraham. And all the children of Abraham, and that really means all believers and future believers. I have known Abraham that he may command, not suggest, 
that he may command all his children and his household after him. God called Abraham from the idolatrous land of Ur, but God does not want Abraham's children to be raised in idolatry. He wants better for Abraham's children, just like you and I want better for our children. And God doesn't want your children or my children to be raised as unbelievers. He wants them to be brought up in the ways and admonition of the Lord. Therefore, love your children enough to guide them and direct them. And guide them and direct them towards the living God. I have a cousin that's just about the same age as myself. And years ago, he was having difficulty with his two sons who were young. They were in grammar school at the time, and they were not applying themselves to their schoolwork. How unusual. <laughs> so he took his sons on a field trip. He lived outside of Atlanta, and he took them downtown to the ghetto, into the hood, if you will. And after parking his car, he got out with his two young boys and he took them for a neighborhood walk. That walk inspired his sons to apply themselves in school. Because <laughs> he began to point out what it was like to perhaps be out of work and be hungry, to live in a neighborhood where a lot of the windows are broken out and that kind of thing. And his sons took it to heart. And I thought that was a lot of wisdom in that. And in Exodus 10.2, God tells Moses, Speak of the mighty things I have done in Egypt. And God is referring to the plagues. God has brought these plagues as a sign to his own people. And he's brought them on Egypt. And sometimes the best example is a tragic event in our lives. We always remember and we can always point back to him. God desires that we know how much he loves us. He also wants us to fear him and respect him in an awesome way. So let's move into plague number nine, Exodus 10, 21 through 29. That was kind of my Father's Day sermon, all right? Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be dark, darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness all, in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to our Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. 
But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more, for the day you see my face you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well, I will never see your face again. Occasionally, we will experience severe darkness. And we say things like, you could not even see the hand in front of your face. And this is just trying to point out how dark it is. But have you ever felt darkness? The darkness that came upon Egypt was so severe that you could feel it. Now, I can feel a humid day. <laughs> I remember flying back to Nashville when I lived out in California, and I get out of the airport terminal, and I go, wow! <laughs> you can feel the humidity sometimes. It's so strong. But this is a darkness you could feel. I've never felt darkness that way. But Egypt is completely dark, However, Goshen, where the children of Israel live, they have light. How did God bring about this complete darkness over Egypt, yet Goshen is not dark? That's debatable, but that was God's doing. But we also remember that when Jesus hung on the cross for three hours, it was dark over Jerusalem. The earth was covered in darkness for three hours. Those are God things. Pharaoh, he does respond quickly to this darkness, and he calls for Moses. And he says, go, Moses, serve your God. Go ahead, take your people, but do not take the flocks and the herds. You see, Pharaoh still thinks he can negotiate with God. Verse 26, Moses replies, our, loves, our livestock shall go with us. Not one hoof shall be left behind. Now that's cowboy talk when you talk hooves. I know about cows. But anyway, because God may desire for us to sacrifice some of our animals to him when we get there. So our flocks must and our herds must go with us. And again, in verse 27, we see that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And in Pharaoh's hardened heart way in his state of mind, he now threatens Moses. Take care, Moses, that you see my face no more, for when you see me, you shall die. The threat did not have the effect on Moses that Pharaoh wanted. It only made Moses mad. I like that about Moses. boy, Mo. <laughs> and he replies to Pharaoh, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Moses is ready for God to deliver the children of Israel. He's ready to leave Egypt. And Moses is angry towards Pharaoh because Pharaoh thinks he can negotiate with God. As Christians, we, we can have a righteous anger towards this sinful, ungodly world around us. And that's I think, was a righteous anger by Moses. 
But when we're angry with the world, there's one thing that keeps our emotions in check, and it we know the results. We know the end of the unrepentant. And for that person that you dislike and that you consider a vile sinner, just remember their end is the eternal lake of fire. That will soften your heart towards them. Eternal damnation will soften our judgmental attitude, or at least it should. In the psalm, David, David he wrote, and he speaks of being troubled and dismayed when the wicked prosper so. And then he says, until I saw their end. And when we see the end of unbelievers, it should break our heart, not give us that judgmental attitude. In Exodus 11.1, 1, let me read you that first verse. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. God is telling Moses, be patient, Moses. I will bring one more plague on Egypt and upon Pharaoh. And after that final plague, he will not only let you go, he will drive you out of Egypt. And then verses 2 and 3, God gives Moses instructions. And he says, Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor, and every woman from her neighbor, articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Moses, go and tell your people, ask your Egyptian neighbors for articles of gold and silver. Now that's boldness. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that? You ladies, go up to your neighbor. Hey, you know that golden earring set you have in the matching bracelet? Could I have them? Oh, okay. <laughs> and they give them up because God has put favor in the heart of the Egyptian towards the Hebrews, plus they fear Moses. Moses now has much more respect and fear than their own Pharaoh does. And God has given the Hebrews this favor among the Egyptians. It's obvious to the Egyptians at this time that God is with the Hebrew people. And he has given Moses great power as their leader. And now Moses pronounces the last plague on Egypt. And we read that in verses 4 through 10. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all of the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. 
But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of the land. What a plague. All the firstborn of Egypt will die. Pharaoh, his servants, his magicians, his soldiers, even the animals all of the firstborn will die. Death will now strike Egypt, and it will strike it and cause great sorrow. Such sorrow and cries of anguish have never been heard in Egypt as there will after this killing of the firstborn. But now we have Goshen, which is a neighborhood of Egypt, by the way, and it says not even a dog will move its tongue or really a bark or howl, okay? God wants the world plus Pharaoh to know that he makes a difference between his people and unbelievers. And I'm glad he does that. Verse 8, By the way, Pharaoh, all your servants will bow down and beg the Hebrews to get out of Egypt. Then Moses goes out from Pharaoh and, and it says in great anger. This is one of the few times in scripture that a, you can we see someone being very angry without sinning. Usually anger brings sin because you, you're usually in the flesh. We can be angry without sinning. It is possible. It just doesn't happen too often. <laughs> Later on, Moses, he will strike the rock, and God will say, Why would you strike the rock, Moses? And it's because Moses is angry at the children of Israel. But God wasn't angry, and so Moses sinned by striking the rock. But God hardens Pharaoh's heart again. And by killing the firstborn in all of Egypt, God completely and totally takes away all of the Egyptians, their cause, their purpose for living. Death of a child, it will capture a parent's vitality, the parent's reason for living. You see a couple who loses a child, and they're so grief stricken that many times that marriage will end in a divorce because of this tragedy that has struck their home, a death of a child. And now all of Egypt and Pharaoh know that these deaths have come about, and here's the thing that really troubles them. They could have been avoided. Now that will put a guilt complex on you. But death has hit Egypt. 
In verse 7, we have one of those sayings that is not so easily translated about a dog moving its tongue or really barking. Dogs are not spoken of so well in Scripture. A barking dog can keep us awake at night, can't they? Dogs in many parts of the world do not hold the charm, the companionship that American dogs hold to their, you know, to their owners. Because dogs here are loving pets, and we love our dogs. Except Moses, that's my dog. Moses is a good old boy, all right. <laughs> but in many countries, dogs are scavengers, and they're to be feared because they run in packs, and they usually run at night, uh, just causing fear and so forth. We were on a mission trip down in Baja, California, and it was interesting to see each and every one of these little homes or huts of a house in the village, they all had some kind of fence, some kind of crude barrier built up around their little house to keep dogs out that would roam at night. And they would put anything into their little fence, their little barrier, to keep out these wild dogs. We even saw one little fence that had a bicycle built into the fence because it was all they could find to, to make a barrier there. But these roving packs of dogs were definitely a safety issue down in Baja. And God says, they won't be a nuisance even among the children of Israel. God is even controlling the animal life there among the Hebrews. But God wants the world to know. He wants the world to know that he is God supreme, or Yahweh. And he makes a difference between the Egyptians and between Israel, because Israel is his people. He's made this difference because the plagues, the last uh, six of them, have only been against the Egyptians and not against Israel, who's in the same area. If you're an Egyptian, you had to take notice of the separation of these plagues. And when God blesses his people today, the world cannot help but notice we're blessed of God. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are still God's chosen people. Israel happens to be located in an area where they're surrounded by backwards nations. Israel, they're like this oasis among the Muslim world. They have good medical care. They grow enough food to export food. Uh, Israel is what we would call a high-tech country. Excuse me. And Israel enjoys God's blessing upon them because they are his people. And this makes the Muslim nations around them hate them. And our neighbors, they notice when God blesses 
us his people. In the Gospel of John, we read where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Well, who does he shepherd? He shepherds us, his people. He provides for us. Christians around the world have a reputation as being the most giving people, the most giving segment of any people in this world. And we give. And we give, hopefully, from a cheerful heart. There are thousands upon thousands of Christian churches that exist totally from the donations of their Christian people, their Christian members. Most Christians, self-included, we give out of our abundance because God has blessed us so much. Here at Calvary Chapel, Madison, we've never had to plead or beg for money. I thank God for that. I really do. That is a blessing. In in fact, we seldom even talk about giving because we think giving is an act of worship between you and God. Now, we have our little offering boxes in the back, and you folks visit them. (laughs) And, And the needs of our church, they're dictated... Our budget is set by what we receive as tithes and offerings. So I don't plead or beg for money. And I thank God that I don't have to. And many churches, they will pass the offering plate, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But we choose not to bring attention to your giving because that's between you and God. But as a Christian, and if you've been for a Christian for any length of time, you've discovered you cannot outgive God. You can't do it. It's a basic principle of God. He says he won't be a man's debtor. And I, and I have found in my life, I am tremendously blessed. And it's because he is God of my finances, too. And I give to the Lord. And I give gladly because he will not be a man's debtor. So I say to you, be like Israel. You can have God's blessings. And the world will see that God blesses you because you are a Christian. And we have the favor of God upon our lives because he is our God and we are his people. And that is the greatest blessing that we can live and exist for is the blessings of our God. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. This afternoon, later this afternoon, we're having a baptism. We're going to meet here again at 5 o'clock, have our potluck and uh, have some games for the kids and that kind of thing. So come on out. Uh, I'm hoping that's where everybody is out, getting prepared to come tonight. (laughs) But, But we will have a good time in the Lord, so let's pray. Father, we thank you that you make a difference between believers and unbelievers. We thank you that we have your favor, Lord. We thank you for your blessings upon our lives. Lord, you're, you're so good to us. 
We go through difficult times, but you bring us through them, Lord. And we come out shining as an example of your goodness. So we thank you for preferring us, your people. Thank you, Lord, for providing a way of salvation through your Son. Lord, we have so many blessings. We have so many things to be thankful for. And so cause us, Lord, as we go through the next coming days, coming weeks, Lord, to just stop and think and meditate upon your goodness to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that we can be part of your kingdom. And thank you again for just being our Lord and our God. And we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.